Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lost. I am the designer relations developer, Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I have been online quite a bit these last few days, just trying to see where people are at and what they're doing. And I'm starting to see a lot of people with a very diverse set of skills be able to pivot just far enough out of the industry so that when it comes time for the industry to come back together, they are ready in full force to to be even stronger and and more well-prepared. And it kind of, kind of made me think about how important it is to be diversified in our skill sets and uh, kind of maintain a, a level of expertise in a little bit of everything. And when I was thinking about that, one of the persons that really came to mind was Ryan Stump. He has done a little bit of everything. He's excelled at most of the things that he's done. And uh, I thought it would be a great time to sit down and chat with him. He is the owner and principal lighting designer at Q13 Design as well as lighting designer and programmer for Disney Parks Live Entertainment in Florida. Thank you so much for taking an hour to sit down with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You got it. Appreciate it. Um, when I was looking over your resume and your online stuff, you've done a little bit of everything. Was that by design? Um, no, I think it was just in the, the gradual order in which I you know, kind of started in the industry from the bottom and learning something and tacking something on and learning something and tacking something on. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's just no, there's no stopping of a, a learning and growing thing. So, you know, I just like to keep tacking things on as I see fit and, you know, right on. Did you see this as a career path, uh, at a very young age? No, I wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of lighting designers that, have, that, have, that wanted to be pilots. I've met a lot of people like that, but, but yeah, I want to be a pilot. I went to school for being a pilot. Like I, I went to start flying lessons and I started uh, at Georgia state doing urban policy studies, which was their aviation program at the time. And I, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm here now. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have met people that have gone both ways. That's funny. I've met people who were, in the lighting industry and became pilots and pilots who became lighting people. Oh, so the, yeah. Fascinating thing is that finally, you know, when, once I was in the industry enough and, you know, got finally got my finances in order, I did go back and get my pilot's license. So, and now I get to fly recreationally, which some people would argue that that's, you know, the best of both worlds. You know, you get to do what you love doing. And then instead of being forced to fly for your job, you can hop in an airplane and, and head to the beach or something. It it sounds counterintuitive, but there is a link there. It, there is something about sitting at a console, smashing buttons that make things happen far away. That's 
I mean, I will tell you that the airplanes that I've flown have been very well equipped avionics wise. So there's definitely a technology thing there as well. Um, that, uh, but yeah, sitting at a control panel, mashing buttons, I guess. Um, but you know, a maybe a little bit more safety oriented in the airplane. Are you a, uh, flight simul flight simulator addict as well? I am. And that just came out. The 2020 version just came out. So that is a, I don't have it yet. I am waiting on a new machine and then I was going to install it, but yeah, um, probably since I was like 12 or 13, definitely some some flight simulator um, addictions there. <laughs> I think of all addictions, I think that's a fairly healthy addiction to have to just sit I mean, and fly. You know, and... It's that or Fortnite or I don't know, whatever, whatever the people play these days. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, at least in that case, you're, you're just uh, flying. Yeah. People are like, so what's the, you know, what's the object here? Like, is there an end score? And I'm like, no, you just land. And they're just like, well, that doesn't sound exciting. I, I don't know. <laughs> At least when you're flying, your goal is to kill as few people as possible. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I, I typically land pretty well. I always land in real life. You know, any, any landing you walk away from is a good landing. <laughs> so, oh, all man. good landings on the record. It is one of my favorite things in a, every day when uh, we're flying is a nice, safe landing. As, uh, it sounds so mundane, but now that it's only been so long since i've been on a flight you're like man i just can't wait for a safe landing again yeah it's been a few months for uh since uh since a commercial flight for me so but i do enjoy commercial flying just as much as i do you know uh sitting in the cockpit myself uh it's it's amazing how much i miss the cathartic feeling of just sitting in an airplane it's, it's like my own meditation just sitting yeah. in a plane flying yeah, it was almost terrible you know when when airlines came out and they were like free texting i'm like whoa hey hey hey! let's not let's not go crazy here you know like <laughs> this is my my zen area you know why, why would you do that yeah being on a plane that's my one place to go without wi-fi for an extended not amount of time anymore. now you can like fly across the pacific and have wi-fi um i mean you can connect to your vectorworks license you know in the middle of the pacific i mean that's an activation you know Oh, thanks, okay. technology. You really ruined that one. Right, right, right. So, but yeah, I mean, it used to be. Now it's, people are like, oh, did you get my text message? Yeah, I was on an airplane. You got it, right? And I was like, no, I didn't turn, stop. Okay. Maybe we're just a little bit too connected at that point. Very connected. Yeah. Very, very connected. Do some cruise ship work too. And, you know, that's got satellite internet, so can't hide there either. And a lot of the cruise lines do some free text messaging there. You just can never can't get away anymore. <laughs> the part that made me want to talk to you is that you have done a little bit of everything in d different fields and you've kind of finally settled working for Disney. Is that a, uh, is that a forever goal or is that just a temporary? Uh, Disney was, uh, Disney was always in the, I think Disney was always in the cards from uh, a young, probably a young age. You know, uh, I think I'm originally from LA, so uh, I I didn't grow up at you know Walt Disney World or anything. I grew up at Disneyland, you know. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of my huge like I don't know. Growing up, growing up, I was definitely a Disneyland kid. We definitely took one to two trips a year, and um, I was there opening weekend in the early '90s for their Fantasmic show that they turn 
you know, Tom Sawyer's Island into the big, you know, all of a sudden light towers come out of the ground and stuff like that. And as a, a little kid, I was like, this is, this is insane. This is crazy. This is definitely, uh, definitely what I, what I would love to do one day. Um, aviation of course was definitely the, the goal. I thought it'd be cool to work for Disney one day. I didn't know what capacity I thought even maybe like an operations role or something ended up actually in Georgia, you know, with a family move to Georgia, Delta airlines, aviation here. We're, we're, it's all tying together now. LA to Georgia. LA to Georgia. That's a, that's a move. That's a move. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever heard the word y'all before, <laughs> you know, as a fifth grader, that was, that was, that was, that was kind of crazy. So, um, yeah, I lived in Georgia and went to high school there and became actually a, a DJ. I know that you've actually interviewed like two or three people that um, were like, oh yeah, I was a DJ. And then I became a lighting designer. So yeah, you can uh, tack one on the list for me there too. <laughs> it's a gateway, gateway profession. Ah, it's a gateway door, I guess. Um, so did uh, school proms and corporate events and stuff in Atlanta. Um, in fact, my own school dances actually when I was my senior year in high school and um, actually made quite a bit of money, you know, grew to a lot of different schools and corporations that used me. And then bought, you know, I saw other DJs that were like using Martin Minimax. And I, I mean, I mean, that was like, you know, the, the mobile DJs, like Dreamlight right there was like a Martin Minimac. So I one up them and I bought Mac 250s, so. Boom. <laughs> yep. And so bought a, bought a rig and then learned how to program and, that's kind of where I, that was kind of like my intro into it. And then I was like, oh, I should, I, I was using a software controller at the time. I don't remember what it was, light jockey or something like that. Yep. 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 And uh, figured I should learn a, a console. This was uh, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. And uh, actually, as like an 18 year old, you know, went through uh, the late Steve Irwin, um, his show training network back in the day and took a whole hog two class as an 18 year old. A lot of people owe their uh, start to him. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. Yeah. RIP. RIP. Yeah. That was, it was, uh, it was one of the more fascinating just cause you didn't learn just a console. You learned your a console and you know, the wealth of knowledge that he brought to the table and tips and tricks. And, um, I think that's one reason why I like still teaching, um, this day it's just that was a it was a fascinating class so yeah ended up uh ended up there and then by that time i was freelancing doing whole hog two gigs in atlanta and i was like oh i should apply for this disney internship and that was 16 years ago and i applied for it and the rest is history i've been there for 16 years it was an initial goal and it was a kind of a an end goal and it's a uh, grown up through the company a little bit right on sounds like disney has has uh, played a major part in your life inside and outside of your profession yeah i mean i definitely kind of grew grew up more or less i'm sure there's plenty of people that i know that would probably agree to that as well <laughs> um you know during 16 years there coming from uh age like 19 to where i am now so wow you've pretty much grown up in the Disney in culture the, in the, yeah, in the role itself. So, and then, uh, moved, moved up through the ranks a little bit and, uh, was, uh, entertainment technician for several years and 
Well, that was just a great job. Like I learned so much, even at a young age, you know, working with a lot of, a lot of people that came in from outside the industry into Disney, people that were inside the industry that um, just took me under their wing and got to be mentored by some fantastic people and uh, learned consoles and learned more consoles and learned Emmy work. And what's a Disney internship like? Disney internship. Um, I think my Disney internship back in uh, 2004 was uh, something, it was an entertainment technician internship and they really like you to try to get around the property. It's a big property and they want you to um, experience different shows and then they'll put you on some events. I remember like back in those days, we still did Disney grad nights for high school seniors. So I got to be put on one of those and that was that was kind of a, a crazy party and they do top 40 artists on the stage. I think it's been several years since we've done those, but so yeah. You, Your DJ, uh, DJ skills it. came in useful then too? Uh, they did, you know, like, and in high school I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The DJ skills definitely, definitely came in and the, the party kind of lighting, I said it, you know, settled in really good with the party lighting and the concert lighting. Um, that, that was all all pretty good but the internships uh-huh. are kind of a watching and learning and, uh, and sponge sort of okay um, activity you know there's there's not a lot of touching but there's a lot of learning so and it's you, not you a boot know. camp sort of situation yeah no yeah the events were definitely boot camp you know that grad night was uh was pretty fascinating it was just i had never done a load in in my life i'll be honest like i had never like run a follow spot in my life either so um, I think like Sierra was on stage or something and I was like, I've never done this before. And you just kind of jump up there and somebody teaches you how and then off you go. Um, so th- that was my first time actually doing like a concert style load in was actually, and that was a, those were, those were some pretty big rigs, big veal, um, five arc, six C's rigs, you know, back in the day. Classic. 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 So, yeah, repeaters. I was and yeah. I was drunk cable. Yeah, I was fortunate that I got to do some Series 300 installs, you know, before, you know. Oh, back to the days of one light, one cable. One light, one cable. Hey, I got to swap out the light. Okay, don't have to readdress it. No, no, man, those were the days. So uh, I would imagine that once the internship has exhausted itself, you, you're, they're going to look at you and you're like, well, yeah, you did pretty good. Do you want a real job now? Is that yeah, kind of how it know, went? It always, it always depends on, you know, the hiring situation at that time. But at that time there was some hiring, there were some positions and they said, Hey, do you, uh, actually because of that grad night, they were like, do you want to, um, do you want to come, you know, work full time here? And I said, yeah, that sounds fantastic. So I, um, I got hired in and, did some, you know, probably not a lot of lighting the first few years, you know, there you, in those roles, you do a lot of, uh, a lot of props, pyrotechnics, a lot of, you know, stage operation show, you know, positions, um, deck assist positions, you know, uh, all, you know, extremely important, you know, stuff, uh, but just stuff I'd never done before, especially pyrotechnics, you know, that was kind of a, a fascinating thing, you know, loading the, the big fireworks shows. So it sounds like Disney shares my idea that you should be multidisciplinary. They they didn't want to pigeonhole you into any one thing. They're like, no, you have to take a look at everything and find out where your your passion lies. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have like 
a core, like a core discipline, uh-huh. and, which I think is the same, you know, that's the same for outside of Disney as well. You know, I think you always gravitate towards a, like a core discipline and then uh, you can branch off from there a little bit. Every, every little bit, you know, you learn uh, a little bit more about what somebody else does or, but it, I think it makes you a little bit more, more well-rounded. It's important to kind of know, or at least have an idea of what everybody else is doing especially when it comes to Imagineering, you have to know what's capable and what the time frame necessary is. And if you've at least loaded pyro once in your life, you'll know that, oh, well, that clearly can't happen in an hour. It's going to take a pyro load in takes five hours, you know? Uh, it sounds like they gave you the tools to know what everybody else was, de- was dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, but it was a it was a good variety. You know, I got to move around to dinner shows like a Hawaiian luau show and some other some other exciting things from around property. And then you know when events come, you know that's really that's your time to to really shine is uh, is during event you know during events where you can actually sit down and do load ins and you're not uh, you know doing daily operational things, which is a different mindset. So it's just, there's a couple different mindsets that you have there. You have the daily operational thing when you're, you're focused and you're fixing the show and in between shows, you're maintaining it. And then you have the, you know, the, the all out production event mode where you're put th- throwing in concerts in, in a night or events or small conventions. And that's, that's pretty much the, the job rinse and repeat. And you, you, uh, you prove what you can do. And then, I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly no different than, you know, the, the rest of the industry, you know, you come in and you do a gig and somebody's like, wow, you really pulled that cable really well. Okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's do this now. Okay, great. You did that really well. Let's do this now. Oh, wait, you, you know how to program uh, this entire, oh, why don't you, you know, take a little bit and do this. Oh, wow. That looked really good. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's no different there, honestly. Did you have to constantly be proving yourself to uh, to move up? I don't know that I would call it uh, moving up. I don't know is the right is totally the right um, way to call it. It's just moving around is how I like to refer. Okay, is you know moving around because I think moving up kind of dictates a hierarchy okay. and you know kind of diminishes sometimes the the, the team aspect of you okay. know. So I moved around to different roles. Um, you know, where, I mean, it was probably only a year or two years in, you know, that I was already doing, you know, master electrician type work and um, starting to do paperwork and previs and then dabbling in programming. And uh, I mean, ultimately where you go from there is you um, apply for, for temporary assignments up to the design department. And then somebody's like, oh, wow, I've worked with you on this and this and this and this and this. I know who you are. I know who you're capable of. Sure, we'll take you on for two weeks or a month to do this temporary assignment as a lighting designer or programmer, and then you'll go back to the role. So you kind of do that for a little for a little while, and that's how I kind of started my, you know, my transition over. Oh, that's great! I didn't know that that's how it worked. So instead of applying for a a full time position, you apply for temporary projects. I mean, it can happen either way. You know, we have a some fast, some really, really uh, phenomenal people uh, that have come in from the outside. Um, just really, really great people that have come in with outside um, design experience in the industry or events. 
um, TV, film, those sort of things, and they've come in. Um, or you can grow up kind of through the um, through the Disney technician ranks, and then uh, you know as temporary things, which are you know come available, and you uh, apply and you kind of get selected. And so, like my very first uh, one was uh, Disney Cruise Line. So we also support Disney Cruise Line um, as a theme parks and events and concerts and architecture and all of those other things aren't enough. We also support cruise ships and it was a cruise ship gig. And I had, a, I think it was a three or four week assignment to do a, a dry dock, which went really well. And then it kind of launched into, oh, okay, let's do some cruise ship work. And so my assignments would be cruise line related. So. Wow. So you got to do cruising too, or was it just the dry docks? Uh, I did. I did cruising as well. Okay. And I uh, was on the launch team for um, the Disney Dream, one of our one of our uh, newer ships uh, back in, I believe, 2010, 2011. So okay. got to go to Germany and be a part of uh, the new cruise ship experience as well, which was, That's again, an adventure. still on that temporary assignment sort of thing. And then I'd return back to the parks and uh, I was a lead or a crew chief at, you know, a nighttime spectacular, phantasmic um, something, you know, one of those types of shows. So I just kind of moved back and forth as, as they, as they needed me to. Right on. So, was that your first time out of the country then? Um, when I was little, I, I very little, I, I went to Germany. Okay. Uh, family heritage in Germany. Got and, it. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's, um, that would have been the first time that one was the Bahamas. So, you know, uh, world traveler there, you know, from Florida, going to the Bahamas. Yep. I think Amazing. that was, was about 18 minutes uh, from Miami. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was out of the country. Uh, but I can tell you that the reason why I know that is because they had asked me the week before to go and I didn't have a passport. So uh, I went down to the Miami passport office and I don't know if, you know, you can do this, but you can get a passport same day. They make it so difficult on you, but it is absolutely yes. possible. I'd imagine it's pricey too. It's actually not too much more. I think it's the same. Uh, it might be the same price for the expedited, but okay. you are sitting there. I mean, all day long from like 7 a.m. to like 6 p.m. sometimes um, in a room that has, you can't really take it. At that time, you couldn't take out your cell phone and you're just like staring at a wall for, for 12, 12 hours. For same day password. That's, uh, that's the hurdle you have to jump through to get to oh, make you pay for it. Oh, just renew your passport early, people. <laughs> the renew office. them early. That's all I have to say. Um, and of course, that I didn't learn my lesson. Ten years exactly after that would have been last October, and I didn't realize my passport expired. And I do actually travel uh, out of the country frequently on it. Um, and I knew it was expiring, but it had a lot of stuff going on. And they said, "Oh, next week we need you to go to Brazil, Sao Paulo. You go to Brazil." And I was like, "Oh." Ah, it actually expired last week. So I went to Miami for the second time <laughs> and I sat there for 12 hours. And so I don't actually, I can't say that I've actually gone through the normal passport experience <laughs> ever. Um, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to renew it this time at the eight year mark. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's better that you didn't become a pilot. You, you need to really be up to date on your passport. Yeah, I gotta, that that should have been something that was that was really necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes we don't learn our lessons. Uh, 
yeah, passports are, yeah, without going into too much, I can go into stories about passports, but we'll uh, we'll skip that one for now. Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like Disney was willing to send you all over the place to learn new things and uh, be, uh, yeah. be a major part of the team. Yeah, I've been part of several teams. Um, I, uh, I went out to... Uh, Disney Hong Kong and I don't know that just popped up on Facebook memories you know again those Facebook memories will really get you yep and they uh, so I was a part of a nighttime spectacular parade called paint the night parade out there and then uh, came back to the U.S. and was a part of the same production for paint the night parade at Disneyland Resort in California and that was honestly like my kind of dream come true full circle Started in California, born in California, got to work in California for seven weeks at Disneyland itself. That was uh, that was a, such a fascinating experience for me, and uh, still doing you know that that same uh, Paint the Night Parade. And so I've done that, um, and I've gone to done Shanghai work, you know, during the opening of uh, Disney Shanghai, um, and that was that was pretty fascinating. That wasn't even in the park. It was a architainment, as we call it, installation in, in downtown uh, like Shanghai next to the, the Boond River um, in the middle of the city, right next to the Oriental Pearl Tower. So at, at the Disney store. Wow. It sounds like Disney is able to send you all these different places. Are you able to get all of your creative outlets through Disney? Yeah, I think so. Um, and when I, when I don't have that, you know, I have, I do, I, I obviously have Q13. So Q13 is my design firm. And, uh, that's where I kind of get some of the other outlets. You know, I think it's, I, I'm a huge, huge proponent, um, of, uh, I actually take my vacation time at Disney to do freelance work. Not all of it. I, I leave one, like one week for myself. Good for you. Um, just one, you know, but uh, the rest of it I actually use to uh, to freelance, and that's not just a, a like a financial thing. It's it's actually like a creative uh, outlet for me. Um, there's there's definitely like a box sometimes that that you can not always, but sometimes get into. As far as you know, you're just you're you're rinsing, repeating shows, and you're like, yeah, I know how to do that. We're going to do this. Yeah, I know how to do that. We're going to do this, and you know, it definitely brings something else to the table when you're able to kind of stretch outside of that box and bring out, bring in some other experience that you've had. Right. So, um, it's actually a pretty supportive, supportive mood uh, or move with my, with my uh, leadership of, of course, at, at Disney that uh, I go out and obviously nothing conflict of interest sort of things that would be definitely off limits, but I can uh, kind of stretch my legs a little bit. Um, outside, learn some things from some industry pros that are doing it a different way outside of how I normally would be doing it the other, you know, 50 weeks of the year and uh, kind of bring that back. So it's, it definitely benefits, um, you know, both parties. Um, I'm at the, uh, you know, in the corporate designer role, you know, I've, I've had to uh, definitely learn some some people and teamwork sort of skills that, um, and political skills that actually go a long way when talking to producers, promoters, artists, um, other colleagues uh, in the other world, you know, things I'm able to kind of keep a little bit more even keel sometimes 
um, in some of those kind of conversations. So it definitely uh, one side always benefits the other side. Um, so it's been, it, it's, it's fun going back and forth. That's a great way to burst that bubble. A lot of times you can get inside a political bubble and you're like, well, no, this is the way we've always done it. And you yeah. can easily go like, well, no, I just did another project and we did this way so much more effective, so much more efficient. Yeah. And right. it doesn't mean that the first way was wrong, but I think that in our, you know, in our industry, we're always kind of learning new ways to do things and programmers especially are learning, you know, new ways to program things or, or skin that. And designers are, you know, have fun new techniques. You know, I don't think we copy each other, but we, we definitely, you know, take influence from each other. And so it's, 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 I don't, I don't find that it's a bad thing at all. I agree. I think that's a great way to just keep a diversity of opinions and ideas and, and a wealth of new information coming into the design process. Yeah, some I, people don't right, need, I think it benefits all parties. Yeah. Some people don't need to do that. You know, they could turn on a TV and watch and get influenced by something they're watching or go to a show or, you know, so, sometimes I like to just jump in and actually do other gigs. You know, that's, that's what works for me. That's not for everybody, but it's what works for me. So have you uh, picked a preferred discipline? Do you like programming, designing, directing? Which one, which um, one eases your soul the most? Uh, programming, probably. I, I'm definitely, I would definitely be considered a programmer designer. Um, okay. So I kind of slash those two together. But um, I, I think that that's probably where I live most of the time. You know, in a corporate role, I definitely have to do a lot of uh, lighting directing. And I do try to use delegation to kind of have a diversified team that can pick up certain tasks because it's very rare that we have just one project, you know, happening at a time. So definitely have to split my time between, you know, multiple projects, but I definitely, Usually, I usually find time to leave myself enough time to sit in the designer programmer seat in the, the hot seat at the end, actually do the, 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 queuing, uh, the queuing part of the job as well. I do the majority of my own system design along with, uh, you know, uh, teams of talented people. And for me, I like to be involved in every part of the design process okay. um, because I sit there and I'll tech a system and I'll design a network and I'll design, you know, show systems to, uh, to play back program, um, you know, these types of shows. And then, you know, once I've built it, it's almost like I get to play with it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's almost just like putting together your, your toy and then you get it, you get to finally, you get to finally play with it a little bit, kind of work yeah. it out. The, the creative part is like the creative outlet, the fun, the, the cherry on top, the let's make art. That's awesome. From what I know about you, you're very detail oriented. So I'd imagine it's important for you to be a part of all that, all the build yeah. out process. I, I need to start to try to not be so finger on, on every piece because I do have a lot of creative people that I work with and talented people. Uh, and I, I do trust them, but you know, sometimes it's hard to take your finger off of certain things um, but yeah. I'd like to make sure that, that the wheel is, is rolling. We are rolling forward and we are um, putting the, uh, the, ultimately, you know, it's putting the best product out there, you know, whether that's for my own business or, or, you know, someone else's business, you know, like Disney, it's, it's really important that, you know, the, the end product, the end experience is, is, is what we're going for. Right on. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I noticed on your, 
on your website or your resume is that you went from intern from, from learning from the from the current people in the profession to quickly you turned around to be the mentor yourself uh did you did you enjoy teaching as well yeah i've actually taught um i've taught console classes for quite some um quite a few years now um beginning with hog and uh moving into you know the ma range um but it's that's always been kind of a passion of mine and you know the fascinating part about if, if some if you really want to to learn a console actually one of my biggest tips is to start teaching that console learn your base learn your base and then find someone to teach it to you know don't 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 start lying and you know like you know making things up about your teaching but take what you've learned and now teach it to somebody else you know that's it's just a repetitive learning process and the majority of what i've learned you know console programming wise has been uh teaching somebody else which is just again it's a repetitive function that keeps these concepts in your mind you'd be surprised how many times you've overlooked that function on a console that you've never used but you would but you don't know what it does until somebody in the class says hey what does that do and then you have to say all right let me let me look this up and you're like how oh my gosh this is a brand new function i've never used before so um part of the teaching thing that i like doing is teaching reasserts my own my own learnings back onto myself and keeps those core memory functions you know active yeah there's so many times where a question comes up and you're like i I also don't know. I don't know what that button does. I've never used it. And until not until somebody asks, what does this button do? Jeez, like, oh, let's, let's discover together. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. And I, I would say more than half the time I'm like, Oh, I can find a reason for that. So yeah, yeah I, I think that, it, you know, some pretty good advice for anybody that's trying to learn a console is to, uh, to l learn the core basics and then teach that back to somebody and then learn a little bit more and teach that back to somebody. Um, I was, uh, me and another individual were the two people to bring um, some of those some of those consoles online at Disney. And uh, so, you know, obviously we had to do some teaching. So we, uh, we did, we, we taught, I, I taught console classes probably for the last several years. And uh, when we had to make sure people could operate, operate all those systems. So it was a, it, it's a good way to learn it and then to just continue to to hammer those concepts into your mind until they're second nature. So when you're the teacher in your professional role, do you find yourself becoming tech support even outside of work hours? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, I think it's inevitable. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't mind. It's, you know, as long as they don't get mad at me if I'm in a movie and I don't respond, but yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I, I would typically be uh, for several people even right now, you know, I would probably be one of their first one of their first stops text message wise to, hey, I can't get this. This effect is just I'm just it's off and it's offset and I just I have. So, yeah, that, that, that it, it does. And when you teach uh, upwards of over 100, 150 people, you know, that's uh, a lot of people that, that, uh, that sometimes can, uh, can jump on you, but that's a lot of tech support. I, I don't mind. I, you know, as long as people are, are patient, we all have our own lives too. Right. Right.
I share no. that I share that passion with you. It's a it's a double-edged sword though because you want to be the first call for so many people because because that's what we do. We want to be helpful. But at the same time, sometimes it, it, you can get taken advantage of. You can be like, "Man, you know, it's two in the morning. I'm you're getting a text you're like, hey, yeah, why aren't you?'" Too many of those, you know, like my I don't know your phone. My phone has a silent function. That's awesome. <laughs> it's very important. Oh, so, um, I do use that if I'm not working at two o'clock in the morning. They, you know, my jobs come typically with a lot of odd hours. Yeah, uh, it, it's so good to be that first call. Because you know, eventually it's going to lead to more work. It's going to lead to more collaborations. It's going to lead to so yeah, many you have things. no idea who who you taught at one point in time. Exactly. That is going to somehow, in a spin of the world, be a um, you know a you know help get you work or jobs. You know, um, there was definitely somebody who taught me a console at one point in time that I at some point at you know I several years ago somebody was like I need a media server programmer for um uh for a festival that i do and i was like oh i, I know exactly the person to go to you know like this person and we work together well this is gonna it's gonna be great so yeah i there's yeah i'd imagine being in that teacher role you have access to a wealth of new talent like you know all these all the new people come up and you're like hey yeah you know who deserves a shot X, um, y, and Z. Yeah, I don't know that we're really like leaned upon too much for that. I mean, I, I have been, but you know, yeah, you do get the first kind of glimpse of, you know, people's skill sets or, um, but I, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, I've been wrong several times. There's been a couple of people where I was like, oh, you know, like maybe, you know, they weren't in the top, you know, one or two people, but they're actually extremely extremely fantastic programmers now so i've made my own mistakes um in that <laughs> <laughs> so when you bounce back and forth between disney and your freelance stuff i would imagine you get to work on shows that are just massive in scope and then you also get to work on things that are just tiny dinner theaters and whatnot um What's yeah there's a there's a definitely a variety of, of things that you get to do it as a themed as a theme designer a themed lighting designer you really don't get to often have the well i'm only gonna do concerts or you know what that's my fourth fan i'm only gonna do that now that is something that you're gonna have to put um that you're going to have to do you know more than likely at some point during the your time there but mm -hmm. it's you actually have to dabble in so you know so much you know um so yeah it can it can it can be a the the nighttime spectacular in front of the castle um and then it can also be a meet and greet for one of for a world-renowned character um which you know both things are taken equally seriously and both things have a different ability to be creative with it um, which one has a huge budget, one has a, a, a lighter budget. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, it's you, you definitely bounce around into a lot of what I call sub-genres of lighting. Sub-genres. Sub-genres of lighting. Um, you know, you bounce around. I, I do um, program the lighting on, uh, on the castle itself. Um, so that is a, definitely a, an architectural type of, uh, type of element, obviously. And you know, then there's uh, shows, and then there's fireworks spectaculars, 
and there's meet and greets. And then we also do, you know, other architainment things or lighting events, special events, um, things pop up and like there's no, there's no end to the, the, the run of a, of a themed lighting designer. You can be asked to do uh, almost anything at any day. And you could be at a theater tomorrow and you could be <clears throat> outside at doing a party the following day. There's just no, there's no limit. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate to work with a really great team that's also equally versatile to be able to bounce between uh, sub-genres, you know, pretty well. That's really cool. It sounds like you get to really flex your creative muscles in, in every day. I mean, it sounds like even with Disney, you're bouncing back and forth from design to direction to from major to minor scales. And then yeah, even then when you're outside, not at Disney, you still get the outside. Yeah. The majority yeah. of the outside stuff is, you know, I've got a, I've got a couple installations. One of them, you know, got some, some decent press. We were one of the, one of the, the only load-ins happening, you know, during the downtime in uh, Orange Beach, Alabama. It was a huge uh, lighting and laser installation. Um, that was uh, what, four weeks after um, the big shutdown. And so there was a, there was a lot of, that was my company that did the installation. So there was a lot of COVID-19, you know, factors that went into play with that. And uh, so installations, and then also, uh, you know, I heavily enjoy, you know, being um, festival lighting, L like a festival lighting LD, so. Wow, you must be one of the few people I've talked to that was, you were working in, what was it, April? Uh, yeah, the, well, the, it was in uh, early May. Early yeah, May. Very, very beginning of May, um, installed uh, the wharf in Orange Beach, Alabama, which is a, kind of an outdoor shopping, dining, entertainment uh, district. And uh, it's a, it was an installation I've actually been supporting for many years. And um, they've got a lot of toys there. And they, they do little nighttime shows and uh, vignettes on the street. It's actually kind of a, uh, a huge thing for them. They shut down the streets and they do light shows and audio. And uh, we added, I added a, a laser system for them uh, this year. So uh, learned uh, a lot about lasers and laser installation. Awesome. And uh, pretty much support all of their needs from technical direction to show control, to laser design, to lighting design, lighting programming. Um, so yeah, we had a, we had a, uh, we had about a three week load in at the wharf and it was, it was, uh, it was very interesting to, to say the least. Things were a little different in Florida than they were in Alabama at that time. There weren't a lot of cases in that area but still right. there was a lot of physical separation and there was mask usage and uh, ultimately, and that was actually, there was a little bit of financial strain, you know, on that project just because, you know, yeah. um, I didn't want to ask the, you know, the client for additional um, funds, but you know, it was definitely a situation where I had, you know, eight extremely highly, you know, talented technicians. I wanted to make sure that they were safe. So they all got, you know, single occupancy, you know, rooms, which is different. You know, a lot of, a lot of things are double occupancy. So, um, so they, they kind of won out with that one in some really nice condos. So they got to win there too. Good for you. That those are, those are the battles that we, I don't, I don't want to say battle, but the negotiations that need to be had to be, to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. There, were, there was a, a big challenge, you know, with the, uh, the client, the client was, 
you know, that their, their big season, um, it's a small Southern beach town on the coast of, uh, um, Alabama across from Pensacola and across from Mobile Bay kind of nestled in between there. And their big season is the, um, Memorial day to labor day segment. And mm-hmm. they wanted, um, they wanted the new show with the lasers, especially for marketing purposes. They wanted it all up and running for Memorial Day. Whereas, you know, a lot of people else were, you know, pushing it off a little bit. They were like, no, this is, we need this. So that was, that was, that was nice because when we started this, when, that, when we started that project, it was definitely a, a revitalization and a reimagining of their, their existing show into something completely new, brand new moving lights, everything. And by the end of it, we were actually able to uh, provide a marketable experience to help keep those small shops alive, you know, through the summer by giving, you know, pulling those people that are traveling, you know, into that area. And that's what the end goal was. So that was, that was good. I think that outdoor venues are going to have a whole new refreshing, a new image after or post COVID. I think outdoor venues are going to play a much more, a much bigger role now. I do too. I do too. Um, they're fortunate that I know a lot of, you know, a lot of friends have actually toured through the wharf. They have an amphitheater there as well. Um, I believe it's now a live nation amphitheater probably be utilized first. I would guess, but, you know, yeah. your guess is as good as mine as, as good as anybody is right now, you know, how this is all going to play out you know this is all speculation of course but yeah i can't i can't imagine why outdoor venues wouldn't come back first long before small indoor theaters yeah i mean i yeah we're already seeing you know really good surges in that you know with the the drive-in sort of concerts you know around the country and stuff those are all really hip and awesome i think the outdoor venues have a a leg up in the fact that Number one, you can be socially distanced. And number two, the money makes a little bit more sense. You can do outdoor events while being distanced. You can you can have a limited occupancy and still make a certain amount of profit on those. I, I think that the outdoor, especially like a comedy event or comedy show, I don't see why those couldn't be fully functional first. Yeah. I mean, we need comedy anyway right now. So uh, We need comedy pretty bad these days. <laughs> Yeah, I th- that's a that's a refreshing. You're one of the few people I've been able to talk to who've been working through the pandemic. I, I, yeah, it was uh, it was it was planned before, and I was uh, pretty blessed that it was it it, it stayed intact um, because they tied it to whoa, listen, this experience that we're building, this is what's going to help drive us revenue, even and you can do it even socially distanced. So we need this. So they they kept it intact, and it was. Good. It's going to be tough, man. The uh, profit margins are going to be pretty low for a while, you know, because for things exactly like you discussed, you know, you can't do double occupancy. Clients are going to, have to be real cautious about their PPE and uh, okay. just making sure that everybody stays safe. We're gonna there's going to be extra precautions for quite a while now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, PPE is definitely going to be the tools, part of the tools in the tool bag for a while, you know, in Pelican. Mm-hmm. And you're only talking about between Florida and Alabama. If yeah. it was Florida and New York, now you would have to add a quarantine of 14 days on either yeah. side. And that's, yeah. who pays for that? That, that could be really intense. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know who would actually, um, because 
you know, both sides are going to argue, well, you know, I'm obviously losing out on being able to book another client. And the other person is going to say, whoa, I'm just trying to stay alive here. We're trying to get things moving again. You know, I think it's, I mean, ultimately, I think it's going to have to be a, each, each situation is going to be different, but I think it's Agreed. going to be a, a, a negotiation. And uh, anybody that brings hard lines to the table um, is probably going to not win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and most people, I think, I, I mean, I hope are, are people, you know, where you can say, hey, listen, you know, like, I want to do this gig for you. You know, this is how much I'm making. This is how much I really need to, I mean, I mean, reason with you, I'm a human, you know, this is, I got to have this to pay the mortgage, you know, I got to, I got to make sure that, you know, I can continue living on this. I, I'm going to need a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe the solution is half day rates for a week or, you know, one week instead of two weeks on either side that, you know, can be paid out, you know, some kind of negotiation. Uh -huh. um, but if you come to the table and say, well, it's going to be two weeks on either side, which is a month of pay. And don't get me wrong. You know, I think we all deserve, you know, uh, you know, for a lot of our, a lot of our like really talented jobs that we do, but I just don't know that I don't know that it's realistic. I guess. Yeah. There's going to be some hard discussions to be had because we all want to maintain our rates we do. because we've worked for years to, to get yeah. to these, this level. But now we, we're, we're going to have to bend without breaking just far enough to say, hey, look, I, I can't do that. I, yeah. you know, I can't leave my family for that long for that much. But at the same time, like, I also need to work right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's going to be a lot of tough discussions there's, to be had. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of, I, I think that the ones that, you know, a lot of people that are latched to uh, promoters or artists, I think are in a lot better place probably to, to have those discussions, you know, and those negotiations back and forth. If you've never worked for somebody, you know, that's going to be an awkward conversation to say, Hey, I want you to hire me. And this is my rate. Oh, and by the way, um, I want two weeks on either side, you know, Oh man. <laughs> you know, that's going to be, a hard yeah. You know what I mean? Just, just hearing that is like, Whoa. Um, and you might be t totally good for it. You know, I, you probably are, but, there's going to be a lot of venues coming to some serious technicians and LDs going like, Hey, look, we want to get back to work just as much as you do, but this is the profit margin. This is what we can afford to pay. Can you help us out? That's something we're going to have to go back and look like, well, I also want to get back to work. I also want to help you out, but I just can't do it for that because if, if that becomes a norm. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's a big thing too, that, you know, people are gonna make, well, is this a precedent setting thing? You know, everybody's always worried about precedent setting rates, you know? Yeah. Um, wait, I do this once. Is this like a forever thing? You know, is now my one day travel or my half day rate travel now going to turn into a one week travel? You know, like, you know, those are industry norms that are going to have to be discussed. Yeah. In one situation, especially in the employee, in an employee employment regard, it's normal to start at one rate and then work your way up in the freelance world. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't, you don't get to do charge X for your first tour and then charge X plus 0.5 on your next tour. And then right. that's a tough one. It usually just like, okay, well X is your rate now. Yeah. Uh, man. Unless, you wanna, unless, unless you're that, you know, bold enough to come to the table and say, all right, Hey, listen, you know, we're, 
it's, it's renegotiation time, um, which, you know, depends on what, I guess, what else you have lined up, right? <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's a very true thing that's going to be facing us very soon. It's going to be right in our faces going, so I know you haven't worked in the six months, but I got this, I got this carrot right here. You want this carrot? Yeah, I think the, the bigger, you know, concern that I know that's been, you know, you know, uh, published a lot in, in publications and internet and social media forums is, you know, the undercutting of rates and stuff like that. You know, that's a big concern for a lot of people because there's, there is a lot of um, hurting, especially in the freelance world right now. And I, I would hate to see this situation where um, we're just pinning people against each other to just undercut as low as we possibly can, because, you know, there are some people that do have some really great rates right now. And, but if you could have it for $500 cheaper a day, you know, that, that's, you know, that big thing that I'm, that I'm concerned about, you know, I want to make sure that people can still make a living when we finally emerge from this, you know, obviously who knows when. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you taking time to, to speak that truth. I mean, that is a, some very real concerns a lot of people are going to be faced with very soon. And it's good to know that we're all in this together and we're kind of sharing that, that hesitancy to, to really take a hard line. So yeah. thank you for being willing to talk about yeah, that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, I hope that uh, all of my audiences has a little better idea of who Ryan Stump is <laughs> and what you're, what you're working on these days. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good time. I'd look forward to doing this over for over real drinks. Oh yeah. Later. As soon as we possibly can safely, of course. Absolutely. Thanks Ryan. Yeah, you got it.